0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster and Sean podcast here on the Field 68 Media Network. It is Sunday night, January 3rd. I hope everybody had a, health, a healthy and happy new year. My name is Rob Doster. The other gentleman that you see there with me, of course, is Dashaun Butler, former West Virginia All-American and current co-host of mine. Sean, how are you doing, man? How was your, uh, how was your new year? Uh, did you get wild and rowdy? Were you up until uh, 5 o'clock in the morning partying again?
1: No, that's not my life anymore, but uh, I had a good time, man. Me, the kids actually hung out a little bit longer than I did. I was, uh, I was knocked out. I sent my messages and it's like, happy new year right around like 12 o'clock. And I passed out around like 1245.
0: Yeah. I was, I was out by like, I think like 1115 or 1130. Like I threw on Borat, right. Which is Like I thought it was going to be a funny movie. It was not. Newer one you're talking about? Yeah. It was not funny. There was like one, there was one like legit laugh out loud scene. Um, but like, it was, it was, I was just kind of like, this is the, this is so awkward and qu- cringeworthy. And I just, mm. I couldn't, I don't know. I thought I would like it. It did, just didn't do it for me this time. man. It didn't do it for yeah. me. It happens. It happens. Um, okay, no. we have, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're, telling, you're telling me, um, we have a lot to get to this weekend. Uh, it was probably, I think Saturday was probably the craziest day of college basketball that we've had, uh, yet this year. Um, And then, of course, Michigan, we just watched them put a whipping on uh, Northwestern and kind of set some haters straight. But before we get into all of that, I did want to address something. Um, I saw some criticism uh, over the weekend as there were a bunch of games and a little bit of an uptick of games that were being postponed and being canceled, and and presumably that is due to the fact that there were players that went home for the holidays to see their family, and there was a little bit more travel outside of – uh, kind of the teams and like their the daily circle, um, and some of these kids like they just needed a circuit breaker, so to speak, to to kind of reset them. On what has been a trying season or a trying year, whatever it is, and and to a point, I understand why there are going to be people that are upset about this. As a nation, we were told to stay home during the holidays, to cancel our family get-togethers, to avoid large large gatherings, to avoid big parties, to avoid traveling across the country, don't spend time indoors with people that aren't in your daily circle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's how this virus spreads. We all know this. This is not new information. That's true. Um, And the fact that people did not necessarily abide by these rules during Thanksgiving is part of the reason why, you know, some of our hospitals are hitting capacity we're running out of ventilators and we're running out of ICU space. It's, it's, it's not a good situation that we're in right now. So I, I get why people would be mad about the travel um, and about some of these players, you know, leaving their, their, uh, I guess, controlled environment is the, is the buzzword that we want to use for this. But yeah. at the same time, like, These college basketball players right now are not normal people, if that makes sense. We're asking them to spend every day inside in large numbers practicing with their teams. We're asking them to travel around the country twice a week to go and play basketball against other groups of people that spend every day inside practicing against each other. Right. These are you're not supposed to get together in large groups. And we have groups of twenty five that are getting together to play against each other. Basketball is not like there's no social distancing in basketball, unless like you're trying to guard uh, Marcus Carr step back. Then, you know, there's going to be six feet of distance between you and him. But for the most part, like you got guys setting screens against each other and boxing each other out and going like chest to chest. It's there's there's no there's no social distancing on a basketball court. And we're asking these players in the middle of a pandemic where 360 something thousand people have died to do this as unpaid amateurs, uh, unpaid amateurs that are playing these games, because the people and the entities that make all of the money off of their labor need that income to be able to survive. You know, that we have deemed college basketball players as essential workers, more or less. That's what we're doing. And that they have, as a result, had to spend like five or six months, living in like some level of isolation. There are teams that are staying in hotels because they don't want to let these kids be on the campus. Uh, There are players that have, that that I know that have spent like seven weeks in quarantine dealing with, with some of the rules that you have to be able to play and be a part of a team and contact tracing and all of that. If we're going strictly by the numbers, it's probably riskier for these players to go out and and play in the game, let alone go, go and have a practice. Right? So So to see them go and visit their families in a situation where like, you have to kind of hope that these families are being conscientious about the exposure that they have, which I mean, is no guarantee, but that's the kind of thing that like, we have to, we have to accept. Like these are 18 to 21 year old kids that are not robots that are not professionals even. And given what we are asking them to do and the compensation that they are getting for it, if the people that are with them every day, think that they need a little bit of a break from this reality for their own mental health. And if going home for a couple of days relieves some of the stress that they're under, like I'm not going to be the guy that is going to sit here and take shots at them for it. If it costs us a couple of games here or there in the schedule if things got to get postponed if things got to get canceled, like whatever, you know, this season's already weird enough as it is. What's another canceled or postponed game. Um, you have to trust that everyone is going to be as smart and as safe as they possibly can be, and if anybody does happen to test positive when they go home, we limit the spread uh, wherever they end up going to next. But I'm not going to sit here and be the guy that is taking shots at kids that just need a break from what they the, the grind that they've been on for the last five or six months to like go home. Like uh, for the most part, probably just drive six hours home to see their family for a day and then drive back to school. Like uh, that's to me, if that's what you're doing, I. I you know, you just got to hope that everyone is being smart and safe. And, and from there, like, I'm not going to be the guy to take shot shots at anybody for doing that. I had to get I'm, – I'm, I'm stepping off my soapbox now, okay? <laughs> I just – I had to I had to Please. get that off of my chest, Deshaun. But go nah, ahead. I
1: understand. No, nah, trust me. I, I'm with you. I was curious. Were these people attacking the players and the coaches for basketball reasons or were they ta- attacking these
0: individuals for safety reasons? Just curious. I- all, all of the above. Um, it's like you can't do this. You, this is we're not supposed to be traveling. This is we're not supposed to have this kind of spread. Like this is how you make the virus worse, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like none of them. It's not like they're wrong, right? It's it's yeah. not like what they're saying is incorrect factually. But you can't you can't take what you're saying here out of the context of what these kids and players are dealing with, right? There, there's nothing that we do right now is going to be safe. Like the simple fact that we're playing college basketball games basketball is, is
1: one of the safest things we could do. Traveling
0: and playing is yes. unsafe, like it's by completely definition. against any kind of COVID regulations and COVID protocols that we have. So as long as you're saying like, okay, we're going to keep doing this, but you are not allowed to go see your parents. If you want to go see your parents, like what the, Yeah, what the, what the fuck is that? And man, it's I, very, it's
1: very strange. And what I would say is people should uh, shift their gears on who they who they are angry at. I mean, these are, these, are, these are students that are playing. I mean, there's some schools, that don't, they're, they're not even allowing their students on campus. So they have like, you know, they're having classes online. But for some reason, their players have to be on campus and they have to play and they have to travel and they have to do these things. And I, I can't say have to because you don't really have to. But I mean, we all like, it's almost like the coaches saying, all right, this is a mandatory to come here in the summer. Well, and, and, and everybody's and here's there. Like, part. You know, it. like, like, yeah, it's not mandatory, but like, what do you expect you to happen it. to these guys that don't decide not to play? They did this big thing today. Oh, such and such decided it wasn't healthy for him to play. And the coach totally agreed with them. And, and it's like, all right, cool. But then what? Will he get over recruit? Like, will he get recruited over? Will he not have the same opportunity as the guys that have decided to play? Like, there's a ton, there's tons and tons of things that go into this stuff for these kids. And for people to attack the easiest people to reach is very weak. I mean, the, it's not up to the players at the end of the day. And it's, and it's really not even up to all of the coaches in a sense, like universities, the NCAA, you can you can attack those individuals. You shouldn't yeah. attack in the players.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. The, the, the last thing that I just want to say on this and then we can move on is that like San Jose State played Boise State twice this weekend and like the mountain West game, the mountain West has the schedule where they're playing two conference games at each site yeah. each weekend to try to minimize yeah. the, the amount of. Doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of leagues are it's, 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 it's a smart way to kind of uh, limit the amount that, that these guys are spending in airports the amount that they're spending on planes, back, and the time they're spending in planes, all that kind of stuff. But like you're, San Jose state is not allowed to like practice on the campus right now in that County because of COVID restrictions that are being put in place. So they played in like a rec center. Right? There was literally one the, the game was supposed to be televised, but they couldn't televise the game because there was no setup for the TV. Yeah. There was literally like one camera that they had to be able to make sure that like you could put the film up on synergy. That's what there was. <laughs> like that's that's all there was. And like that's what we're worried about. New Mexico and New Mexico State are practicing in fucking Arizona because they're not allowed to play in New Mexico. And you're gonna be mad that like these kids that are they're completely uprooting their lives to try to play this game are gonna drive home to see their families. Like it, it's yeah. Like there's, there's lots of things to be mad about in this situation the,
1: yeah. these kids need like, so.
0: a mental health break to go see their families. They, is it the last thing that should be the last thing that shouldn't even be on the list. I, I like, like I, get, I get, I trust me. I understand how it's problematic, but like everything is problematic. These, i like, I'm laughing, but it's not funny. I just don't know. I don't know what else to do, man. I'm at, I am at my, uh. My wits end. Um, all right. We are going to get into some overreactions before we do. I do have to let you guys know really quick about our partners over at Manscaped to anybody out there, to all the gentlemen out there that I've ever had any issues when they were cleaning up their below the waist area. If anybody that's ever nicked something, they didn't want to Nick when they were trying to trim Hair in places they didn't want to have hair to all the ladies that are listening to this podcast and watching this show that have men in your life that have struggled with these issues that have struggled with these problems that have needed you to help them put alcohol on areas that you don't want to be putting alcohol on to help them with incidents when it comes to trimming the hair down there do we have an answer for you it is the lawnmower 3.0 from our partners over at manscaped They are here to save your boys from taking on a double team of nagging defenders so you can stay clean and take care of yourself where it matters the most. Trust me, I've been using it. It's great. It's very easy. You do not nick anything. The Lawnmower 3.0 is here to sink the competition and deliver the best tools for your family jewels. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. And they just, Released the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. It is simply the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of the ceramic blade and the skin safe technology, your snags will be reduced. Trust me, they have been. Their perfect package 3.0 comes with the new and improved lawnmower waterproof cordless body trimmer, which allows you to be able to trim in the shower. You get performance boxer briefs and you get a travel bag to use for when we're done quarantining. We can actually go out to places other than our houses and our apartment. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver. Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant, which ensures that your afternoon stroll does not end with your balls getting stuck to your leg because every guy knows that is the absolute Worst thing in the entire world to have happen. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that gives your balls a boost. And trust me, it makes them feel very nice. So you get 20% off and free shipping with the code CATS. That's C-A-T-S at manscaped.com. Because it's a whole new balls game. Take advantage of this limited time offer from Manscaped's all-star lineup and try it yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code CATS, C-A-T-S, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com if you use the code CATS, C-A-T-S. When things get hairy in the fourth quarter, make sure to call on Manscaped in Clutch Time. And we're done. (laughs) That's where the CATS
1: come from. There you go. There you go. Shout out to Manscaped. They're they're out here doing things.
0: Shout, Said least. Shout shout out to Manscaped. They're doing uh, things. And what my what my segue here was going to be was uh, <laughs> that ad was talking about removing hair, and now we're going to talk about the man with the greatest hair. Do in college basketball, and that's Shaka Smart. But yes. before we do that, we just we just watched Michigan beat the hell out of Northwestern. I don't even know what the final score was. I stopped paying attention when they were up yeah. twenty five early in the second half. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of begs the question like, I think that we need to reevaluate a little bit who the best team in the Big Ten is specifically, like, we need to start having the conversation of whether or not Michigan actually is the best team in the Big Ten. And since this is the Monday Overreactions podcast, what I will say to you is right now, Deshaun, I am not ready to say that Michigan is the best team in the Big Ten, but Michigan yeah. is can absolutely win the conference regular season title and win the conference tournament title. They can do both of those things. I'm not saying that they are going to, but they, they they absolutely have the team to do that.
1: Uh, They have the team too. We can not negate that. Um, They have a great coach. Um, I just feel like the sample size is too small to even jump on the boat of them winning the, you know, the big 10. Like, it's just still, it's still early for me. And we've seen a lot of the big 10, the other teams in the Big Ten, you know, play play against some competition, win some big games. Um, we just watched Iowa go into the rack and mm-hmm. come out with a win. We just watched um, Kofi Coburn go and play play. Uh, what's my guy? Tra- Travion Williams, big man battle, and watch Illinois come out with a win against a, a solid Purdue team. Like there's there's still some more we need to see of uh, Michigan. Playing in the Big Ten, but if if anything was uh you know if it was a show that they wanted to put on, they, they did today. Like <laughs> They a team a Northwestern team that what they've beat they've beaten two ranked teams already. They got mm-hmm. two ranked teams under their belt, and they're a very well coached team. And I mean, Michigan didn't care about any of those things, <laughs> so
0: they went yeah. out there, dogged them. You know, yeah. So, so th- there were two things that really stood out to me about this matchup. One is that. Um, Like, on the surface, this was kind of – like, this was the team that that probably could take down Michigan just from the sense that, like, when you have – like, Hunter Dickinson is not – like, he's really, really good, and we're going to talk about him later. But he's not exactly the most fleet of foot guy, right? And so, like, the the thinking is – um, when you're going up against a team that really wants to spread the floor like Northwestern does, you're going to yeah. force him to have to go out and guard on the perimeter. Um, And it, it at the start, like that kind of did happen a little bit. Um I think it was Robbie Barron beat him off the dribble once. And yeah, I th- Northwestern was, I think they jumped out to like a 10 to two lead. And Pete, Pete Nance had eight of those 10 points. But mm-hmm. then from there, like Michigan made their adjustments and, and completely was, shut Northwestern yeah. down. And it was it around, was like it was, it was over. They scored. I mean, I, I don't even know what the run was, but it was ridiculous. They outscored about like 30 points over the next 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and I mean, look, Hunter Dickinson is, is, is really, really good. But I think the guy that we really need to talk about here is Franz Wagner because um, you know, the Isaiah liver still hasn't really gotten it going yet. And Sean D. Brown is, is, has been good, but it, it's pretty clear to me that um, Juwan wants to use him as like kind of like a six man role. Yeah. Fra- Franz Wagner is the difference maker because not only is he a guy that can make threes and can make plays off the bounce, but like he had, he had five blocks and a couple of steals today. Like yeah, he's, yeah. he's become something of a defensive playmaker. And if you combine all of those things with a six, nine dude that can play off the bounce, that can shoot threes, Three, that can, yeah. that can make passes and that can be kind of that defensive playmaker there. All of a sudden you're looking at a team that becomes scary good on that end of the floor like Isaiah Shawnee Brown's Franz Wagner at the two through four can guard pretty much any any group of like three players in the country those three guys and that's 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 really tough you know because we know they're gonna be pretty good offensively
1: I mean yeah we know they're gonna be good offensively what I was really impressed with was the defensive end and how like uh, alert they were defensively like Northwestern is not a bad offensive team at all and they stopped everything they wanted to do Mm-hmm. like Shawnee Brown was out there like they stopped everything so I was very impressed with how good of a defensive team they were how well they worked together and how well they ran in transition because I mean they got a ton of steals and they were just out or they and once they rebounded the ball they were they pushed the pace a ton so it was I like the I like the the pace they had uh getting in the transition and in, in half court they just took advantage of that 3-2 like it was nothing they could do mm-hmm. they couldn't guard a man-to-man and then went to the 3-2 and it was just you know, it was a done deal. Wagner just stepped out there, knocked down threes. They had guys making jump shots left and right and attacking and finding the right places in the zone. They uh, they found, uh, what's his name, Dickinson in the post. And usually you get in the post, some bigs, not all bigs, but some bigs, they, they rush the shot up because they know that the, the zone's collapsing on them. And Dickinson just took his time, stepped through, found layups, and just found the rim. And they, they're a very well-coached team, and they got really good players. So I'm excited yeah. to see the rest of the Big Ten.
0: Yeah, I do think that it is important to point out that we might have seen Michigan play the four worst teams in the conference so far. They've beaten Nebraska, Penn State, Northwestern, and and Maryland. So -hmm. those might be the four bottom teams in the league. Um, And that definitely needs to be taken into account when the top of the conference is as good as the top of this conference is. Uh, But at the very least, like, I think that they've proven that they're going to be in the mix throughout. Yeah. You know, I, I I just when it comes to late February, we're going to be having that kind of, like at the very, like worst case scenario, we're probably gonna be like, yeah, Michigan's a game out. You know, they're still in the mix. If they can beat uh, Iowa here on the second to last game of the season, it's the kind of thing where maybe they uh, they actually have a chance to um, to get away. But I, I mean, I'm very, very impressed. I still think it's really going to come down to uh, what their their backcourt does, because, again, like Look, Hunter. Hunter Dickinson has been awesome, but he really had. The, who's the best big guy he's played? Like this is this is know. who they played this season: <laughs> Bowling Green, Oakland, Ball State, UCF, Toledo, Penn State, Nebraska, Maryland, Northwestern. He has not no. fought up against one of the great big. Like he, they get Liam Robbins and Minnesota, who we just watched yeah. um, beat up on.
1: Um, the, the, yeah, he led the game too.
0: Yeah, 27-14 <laughs> of five blocks. Like yeah. we, Hunter Dickinson gets him Wednesday. Uh, He gets Wisconsin's front line um, and then then Robinson again next week. Uh, Then they got Purdue and Trace Jackson Davis. And then um, they got Illinois. So there, there are a lot of very, very, very good big guys in the big Ten, and Hunter Dickinson has not played against any of them yet. We also haven't seen their guards really go up against anybody. And and to me, what Eli Brooks and and Mike Smith can end up being in the backcourt, like that's, that's where we find out what their ceiling ceiling is. Like we we know they're good enough to be able to beat the bad teams and beat the teams that they're able to beat. But if if those two are going to be able to be good enough for the team to win the conference, then you know they're 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 going to have to go out and prove it. And we haven't seen them do that against a team that's good enough for that. Again, they get Marcus Carr on Wednesday, so we're we're going to find out yeah. sooner or later. That's true. And they just dominated
1: somebody. They just who did they dominate today? I was just watching. Uh,
0: Ohio Ohio State, Ohio
1: State, who had no uh, Dwayne was it Dwayne Washington? Yeah, had no
0: help tonight. It was (laughs) it
1: was pretty bad, yeah. (laughs) And that's that's with uh, Carr at half his average, I think.
0: Yeah, Carr didn't really play all that well. That's because Chris Holtman's like whole gameplay was to take him away. Yeah, they did
1: doubled the uh, – they doubled almost – you could say they doubled. It was like a hard-hedge uh, double team almost to get the ball out of his hands. And, I mean, in my eyes, if you're playing against Minnesota and you – if you told me before the game that Carr is going to have half their points and the only person that was going to go out there and, uh, and give you points in the first half was Liam, I think that Ohio State will come out there and do well. But EJ Liddell didn't play well. CJ didn't play well. Like, it wasn't – no one came out to play like it was it was pretty uh it was pretty one sided after in the second half like it was close because they didn't score but then Minnesota started scoring and then it was yeah, that.
0: I I think it's actually important though because what today proved to me is that Minnesota can win games when you take away Marcus Carr like you can't just make your yeah, entire good. game plan and be taking him away um and it's not just you know Liam Robbins I'm looking at the box score right now 27 points 14 boards 5 blocks 4 assists 2 steals that right there is a pretty good day. He also hit a three and took four of them, so he could shoot, he could space the floor too. Uh, but to me, it was Gabe Kalsher, who has had a really bad start to the season, went for 13 and hit three threes. Uh, Booth Gotch had 10 points, hit a couple threes, and was really, really good in the first half. Jamal Mashburn Jr. came off the bench, 11 points, hit a couple threes. So, um, what we saw today was that you cannot focus all of your energy on trying to take away Marcus Carr and still be able to beat Minnesota. That, that okay. and to me, to me, that matters. Um, which thing an right. of offense, though? <laughs> Ohio State. Yeah, <laughs> right, <right, right>, right. <laughs> I
1: mean,
0: well, we know, like we know, we know Minnesota can can guard. Like, it's not necessarily a surprise that they're able to do a little bit defensively. Yeah. You know, so I wasn't I wasn't shocked that that happened. Um, you know, they, they are on the season. They're they're top forty nationally in uh, in defensive effective field goal percentage. So, like, it's not. It's not shocking to me that they were able to slow down Ohio State. Like I think anybody in the Big Ten can can lock anybody down on any given night. It's just you know one of those things. Um, but um, I was I was very very impressed by the fact that that Ohio State threw everything they had at at, at Marcus Carr and, and and Minnesota. Like they didn't just they didn't just win on a buzzer beater either. Yeah, they, they beat them by twenty. So they slow walked them to twenty wall. So yeah. it was pretty it was pretty impressive. For um all right. So last thing before we move away from the Big Ten is uh like you mentioned earlier, Iowa went into the rack um and and knocked off Rutgers. I guess it is possible to go into the rack and beat Rutgers. I guess it people, is possible to win in the yeah. rack to walk in there and leave with a W. Um I've you seen were right, it for years. I've seen people do it for years. <laughs>
1: After was on the left, people were doing it for years. Like it was a ten year span. But so once they got to the Big Ten, they've they've changed things. So that's good.
0: So what? Uh, give me, give me your takeaways from that game. I was, again, Jordan Bohannon made big shots. You know, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I know I've, I've been hard on them on this podcast, but I, I, I want to see him. I think the sports better when he's good. Just for two reasons. One, kids got swagger out his ass, man. Did you see? Uh, do you, you know what he did last year, right at Ohio State? No, you know what he did. So he, Iowa and Iowa State, huge rivals. They played this the Cy Hawk game. Jordan Bohannon had never lost in Iowa State's arena. And it was supposed to be like his last game ever because it was the game before he he shut things down after ten games so he could still get a medical red shirt if he wanted to come back because yeah. he had the double hip surgery yeah. so it was the last it was supposed to be the last game that he ever played for Iowa was in Iowa State's building and they won that game so he takes off his his shoes and he signs his shoes and uh, and, and left them <laughs> on the foul line of the arena <laughs> signed shoes after the win which is just oh man it's great. But it's like he's a, he's a troll. <laughs> like he's, he's 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 cocky like that. And um and he just raises Iowa's ceiling. So I'm, I just I'm very, very happy that he is. He's he looks like he's he's playing a lot better right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was very surprised in a good way with
1: Iowa because Rutgers is a physical team in a sense. You know, mm-hmm. they play very physical half court defense and on offensively they they can like you know they, they were trying to go directly at Luca Garza and they would mm-hmm. put the ball inside they were trying to get him in foul trouble so they played a very physical game and it was great to see Iowa not back down it was like it was it was good and he stayed in the game and they ended up pulling the game out in a way at Rutgers and Luca Garza was great and why can't play everybody played good man it was it was good to see so
0: I was I was impressed that they got some big stops down the stretch. Yeah, I mean that's that's our always our question with them, right? Like, are they going to be able to get stops when you need stops? Um, and against they, they did against Rutgers against the, like a team that does not lose in that building that has no. really good tough shot makers that has great guards, great that, athletes, the whole yeah. thing.
1: Like, I mean, you would look at that. I look, honestly I, before the game I was sitting there I just thought, like, all right, well for you to beat this team, for you to beat Iowa, we need to run them out of the gym, and they're not going to guard you defensively, so you need to take advantage of those mismatches that you have, especially with Ron Harper uh, Jr. there. And Rutgers did a good job, but, I mean, they withstood the run. They, they guarded the ball toward the end, down the stretch, and they made big shots, and they ended up winning the game. So, mm-hmm. shout out to, I was surprised. Honest, I was very shocked. Was sh- so, salutes to, salute to the uh, – to the Hawkeyes. They deserve that, that, that very big one. So yeah,
0: it's, it's weird. Luca finished with 25 and 10. Uh, no, I'm sorry. He finished with 25. He didn't have 10 boards. Hey, I was to say he,
1: Eight or nine or something. I can't remember. Yeah.
0: He finished, he finished with 25 and it felt like such a quiet night. It felt like Rutgers did a great job on him, which kind of yeah. tells you like just how good he is. Cause they did, they did a really good job of limiting his touches. Like Luca basically scored every time he touched the ball. Um, he didn't, he didn't miss a two point of the whole game. Uh, but um, they did a very good job at limiting the number of times he was able to get touches. Like that was probably the least efficient I was been offensively all season. I I, I haven't looked at on looked at it on camp to know if that is actually true, but it felt like the least efficient performance they've had offensively all season yeah. long. And they 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 won. And yeah, they on the limited road. the touches in
1: the post, and, and not to mention they they put the pressure on the guards so much that Luca mm-hmm. had to step out and get the ball and get, he had a he had this there was one possession we had to step out to get the ball and he uh dribbled to the right, spin back to the left, did a nice little reverse layup, got an and one. And it was like you needed the seven-footer to go the six eleven guy to go out there and do that because the guards were having you know, trouble. Young was making it very difficult for their guards, and and,
0: and it, was, it was it was a good game, man. I was very excited to watch it. Yeah, that. and that that's not a good matchup for Iowa, and that was a very um, very game impressive win. Yeah, and and look, like, look, we're we're talking up Iowa right now. Rutgers, they're they're they're, they're good, man. That is they're a good, very, yeah. very good basketball team. Did right. You see how
1: fast Young got to got to around half court? I'm thinking it was like one dribble. Got to like just enough in front of the half court line to get a a pretty good shot off. And it, I mean, it was off, but. I mean, he had a great chance to win the game. Still,
0: do you know so. where Jacob Young Young started his college career? No, please tell not At the University of Texas. Speaking of the University of Texas, they <laughs> they went way. into <laughs> they, they they went into uh, they went into Field Fieldhouse on Saturday and handed Bill Self the worst loss he's ever had at home, ever. Bill Self, Shaka Smart went into went into Bill Self's living room and kicked his ass yeah that was pretty bad yeah was- so I, I just talk to me about your initial impressions of that because i have i have a lot of things that i want to say about shaka and a lot of things that i want to say about coaching in general uh, but like there's there's not there's not too many performances that that i've seen that were more impressive than what we saw shaka spartan and, and his texas team do on uh on saturday
1: um what i would say about the game is i thought texas did a really good job of imposing their athleticism over kansas like they're mm-hmm. very athletic mm-hmm. very big team their front line basically i don't i don't like to use the word dominated cuz they didn't dominate kansas front line but at the same time as as a whole their front line was better than Kansas front line their front court and their guards obviously outplay kansas's guards um Defensively, and uh, as far as the perimeter and, and interior, they locked everything up, and they didn't really even get going until the second half. And when they start making threes, like when Texas makes threes, these same these same athletes that they have, you have to chase them off of the three point line and run at them all crazy, and, and for to make sure they don't get uncontested shots. These are like one dribble baskets now. Like the, it, it, when Texas is shooting the ball the way they were. Greg Brown didn't even shoot the ball as good as he normally does, but like everyone else was just it was tremendous, and it was I mean they were they were dominant, bro. From beginning I wouldn't say beginning, but I say second half. On they just dominated the game. I think they had like four threes in a row. It was just like Kansas wasn't. They hit their first
0: six in the second half. Six Six in a row. Kansas
1: Kansas was like it was almost as if they they were blank after a couple of those threes went went down. It was just like, all right, like, let's walk us out of here. <laughs> yep. Like, they were done.
0: Yeah, so Kansas shot three for 23 from three. And Texas shot 12 for 26 from three. Texas shot 49% from the floor overall. Kansas shot 30% from the floor overall. And I think so much of it was that Greg Brown, Jericho Sims, and Kai Jones, Kai Jones yeah, were big enough and athletic enough that they – they made it so that, that David McCormick was completely ineffective. Like he didn't even play yeah. in the second half until, nah, now, until he didn't even start.
1: There. They started what? Lightfoot the second half.
0: Yeah. I started Lightfoot the second yeah. half. Um, yeah. Cause they were, they're just so perimeter oriented that it created matchup problems on one end of the floor. And then they were big enough and athletic enough to be able to deal with him on the defensive end of the floor. And yeah. that's kind of like, that's the ideal once you get there, right? When you have guys we've we've talked about this with the Golden State Warriors, right? How they don't play small ball, they play skill ball. And like, I'm not going to sit here and say that like this Texas team is the Golden State Warriors when they had KD and Steph and Draymond and and Clay. But it's the same kind of thing where you have 6'11 dudes that can bang home threes and play on the perimeter and beat people off the dribble from 22 feet away from the rim, which is what Kai Jones and Greg Brown can do, that also can protect the rim that also can deal with a 7-foot, 250-pound David McCormick, um, that also, if they need to, can go out and guard like a Jalen Wilson or an Oshae Baji on the perimeter. So, like, when you have the guys that can do all of those things up front, like that right there, like, that's that's the gin card, right? Like, that right there is what every team at every level of basketball is looking for. And Texas got two of them, three of them, too, if you want to throw Jericho Sims in there. So, also, yeah. so it's, it's – I think that this was – an example of Texas taking advantage of a matchup on a night where they couldn't miss from three and mm-hmm. Kansas couldn't hit a shot. So like yeah. I don't think Texas is twenty five points better than Kansas is. Nah, especially there. But yeah, but I feel like
1: Kansas, like numerous teams in the Big Twelve, like when I don't know what you would have call their offense, but when they're running offense, if things aren't going well, they for some reason they just bury their heads down. And just get to the one on one a little bit earlier than they should, and they start forcing shots, and they shot a lot of tough shots, and they were like, it was more like they were trying to make some extremely great play to like get a basket.
0: Yes, like and
1: it it didn't work out
0: (laughs) because I mean that's that's their main problem is like they don't have they don't they don't have a natural point guard, right? Like Marcus Garrett is a terrific player. Marcus Garrett is a terrific playmaker, but he ain't, he ain't Matt Coleman. Matt Coleman is a point guard, right? Marcus Garrett is a playmaker and it's, it's two very different roles. And that, and that's Kansas doesn't have that guy. And like when you have defenses that can kind of slow down, that can all right. How do I want to phrase this? Like, what Texas can do from a scouting persport, report's perspective defensively, like they take you out of what you want to run, they don't yeah. let you run your stuff, they don't let you get to your spots. So, you need guys that can go out there and that can kind of make plays. And Kansas does not have the guys that can go out there and make plays. That's why we saw Texas lose to Villanova because you know what Villanova has? Four guys. guys that can do it. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody at every spot on the floor for Villanova can go out and make a play. play yeah. So, I mean, that's just kind of. I don't know. I, to me, that's the big picture takeaway there. But I, I also so what's your what is your take on Shaka Smart as a coach? Because um, for people that for people listening that don't know, like Shaka Smart's been kind of on the quote unquote hot seat for the last uh, probably like a year and a half, two years or so. Um, the reason why he's still there. At Texas right now is probably because he had such a big buyout like he didn't have a buyout in his contract he had a fully guaranteed deal so if they were going to have to if they were going to ask him to leave and fire him they were going to have to know, pay him sir. every penny that they owed him so yeah. um, that's probably I don't want to say for sure that that's 100% the reason why but I'll I think that, it's one of the reasons I, I think it's fair to say and, and tell me if I'm wrong here it's fair to say in the coaching profession, it's kind of accepted that Chaka Smart is still at Texas because of that bio. Is that fair? That's part of the reason, guarantee. Yeah,
1: like no one yeah. wants to pay you all, pay the person all that money and them not be there. Like that. Yeah, it's not good business.
0: So what, what's your what's your take on him as a coach? On him as a person? Like, do you know him at all? Uh, I do not know him personally. I've got a
1: chance to watch his teams over the years. Um, I'm not sure. Obviously, when I, you first, when I first got introduced to him, it was at VCU. And I'm really not sure how long he was at VCU, but afterwards I kind of like watched those VCU teams while he was there, I think the next like two, three years until he left. Like he's a great coach in my, in my eyes. Like once again, you said this guy, he, he sets up his, his teams defensively and he keeps four guys that can attack. He, he spaces the floor out defensively at least he's the nine he's making sure his guys are not up the line, but more or less making things difficult for the defense. He takes people out of things and he keeps teams that uh he keeps his teams active and it makes it very difficult, especially offensively when you see two or three or four guys that, excuse me, three or four guys that can get 10 10 points or more. Like he keeps teams like that where it's a very well-rounded offensive arsenal. So I enjoy watching his teams. I was shocked that uh, his teams weren't doing as well when he got to Texas. But like any coach anywhere, it takes time to – you you get put in a new – well, not put, he decided to go. He goes to a new place. There's players there already that fit a certain system. He has to get those players adjusted to his system while – kind of, you know, using those players. A good coach doesn't just go in and go, all right, we're doing my stuff. They get in, they see what they have. They try to blend what these guys can do to what he can do and then try to mesh it. Like, you can't just force guys to do things they've never done before. You show up and you have a coach that wants athletes and you have a non-athletic team, you can't just have these guys pressing. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So smart coaches try to find out what they can do and what his system is and try to find a nice medium. And he did that, I would say, his first two two years until he got his guys fully in. And then, you know, you go through his scenario with playing a lot of people, which he loves to do. But it just didn't work out like that, I would say, last year. You couldn't play 10 guys. So it just takes time for any coach. It doesn't matter who the coach is. A new coach comes in, it takes time for him to build his program up. Like, think of Cal... Think of, like, these guys had to, like, restart everything. Like, they have great seasons, and then all of a sudden they have losing seasons. But they give them that that leash to, like, build the program up first, build their their system up first before they decide to, like, boot them.
0: Yeah, so uh, that's that's a great point that you made, and it's exactly something I want to touch on. I, I don't know if you know these stats and I'm about to throw at you, okay? Mike Krzyzewski, right, got to Duke in 1980. He did not make it to the NCAA tournament until his fourth season at Duke. He did not win a game in the in the NCAA tournament until his fifth season at Duke, which is basically like the same situation that Shaka was in after his first five years. Right. In Coach K's sixth season, that was when they had Johnny Dawkins and Mark Allery and Jay Billis, and they went on that run to the national title game in 1986 and like they made seven of the next nine final fours. They won two titles in that stretch and made it to five national championships. Like that's when like Duke became Duke. Yeah. Right. But it took five years for coach K to even get to the point where like, that was even something that you could consider um, coach Cal when he was at Memphis, you mentioned this in his first five seasons, he made two NCAA tournaments, and three NITs. It wasn't until year six that he really got that thing going in, uh, in, in Memphis. Um, you look at Jay Wright, Jay Wright went to the NIT his first three seasons in, uh, in in at Villanova, and he didn't make it out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament until year five. Leonard Hamilton. This is this is his first five years. No one, no postseason. NIT, no postseason. NIT, NIT, NIT.
1: Yeah.
0: Year seven was the first year that he made it to the NCAA tournament. He got that thing going a little bit. Made four straight and uh, made four straight tournaments. Then from 2013 to 2016, again four straight NITs. Before he got that thing going again, Mick Cronin, no tournament, CBI, no tournament, NIT. Four, it took him five years to get to the yeah. NCAA tournament. Then he made nine straight NCAA tournaments with Cincinnati and was one of six coaches in the country. Uh, right now he's one of six coaches in the country that has been to the last nine NCAA tournaments that have happened. So it's sometimes it takes a while for this thing to get going. And I'm not going to sit here and try to say that like Shaka smart is going to end up being uh, the next Jay Wright or the next coach K or the next John Calipari, because like, if we're being Frank, this dude has never won a regular season title. He's been a head coach for 11 years. He's never won a regular season title. Never won one in the Atlantic 10 Has obviously never won one as a member of the big 12. So I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you, he's going to become the best coach in the history of college basketball. or one of the three best coaches in college basketball right now, like what Cal and K and Jay Wright are. Um, I don't even know if this thing is going to be sustainable, man. Like he's going to lose Greg Brown and, and Kai Jones to the NBA. Matt Coleman is gone. Jericho Sims is gone. I don't know if Andrew Jones is going to stay there. Um, like, but don't they you are- think
1: it's enough that other six foot eleven guys, yeah, yeah, no, but that's all I was gonna, gonna say. See Greg, Greg Brown yes. shooting threes and go. You know what? Shaka's gonna let me do that. I think, yeah, that, that's awesome for for
0: Shaka at least. And it's it's not just it's not just that, right? Like we've seen Mo Bamba have success and go to the NBA. Yeah. We've seen Jared Allen have success and go to the NBA. And like the, the the fact that Shaka has struggled is not he hasn't been. There's things that I, I have criticize him for like from a coaching perspective but there's also a lot of bad luck involved like his first year he went to the tournament and then isaiah taylor who was going to be an all-american if he came back for a senior season went pro with a year of eligibility left his second year his leading scorer tevin mack transferred out of the program at the semester break his third year uh that the leading scorer that season was andrew jones 10 games into the season the duke gets diagnosed with leukemia right Jared Allen was not a kid that was necessarily supposed to be a one and done. Comes in, ends up being a one and done. Jackson Hayes was a guy that was supposed to be in school for two or three years. Comes in, ends up being a top ten pick, right? So it's not, it's not entirely his fault. Like there's been some things. I don't want to say like, well, the Andrew Joes thing is just horrible luck. But like for the most part, it's just it's it's hiccups that happen when you're building a program. All things that are understandable. All things that happen everywhere in college basketball. It's just. they've kind of piled up on Shaka and we're seeing it all come together for him. And like, look, I've, I have gotten to know him a little bit. Um, I, I don't think I said this earlier today. I don't think that one of the criticisms he gets is like, it's, it's a media front. Like he's, I don't want to say like he's a fake, but like, ah, he's not really like that. He just does it for the media. No, I don't think I don't buy that for a second. I think that everything that he says and the way that he treats his teams and his players is, is, 100% 100% who he is. Um, I really like him as a coach, like him as a person. I'm happy that he's uh, he's he's kind of getting this thing going.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. I think it's overdue, and I think this is like uh, – I mean, like you said, you don't know Greg Brown might not be there. Other guys might not be there next year. But I feel like what he's doing this year, it should speak volumes to Texas. And if they don't want him, then definitely another university because <laughs> – I mean, he can put a program together. And I mean, people still talk about VCU, and VCU is in the light it's in now because of what he's done. So,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, All right. So, the next overreaction Dante Allen changes everything for Kentucky. And now they're back to being a real threat in the SEC. Dante Allen changes some
1: things for Kentucky. I don't know if they're a threat in the SEC until they win, like, the, how many games they lost.
0: Until they do they, more to beat Mississippi State. Exactly. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, what I will say is the point you made the last time we talked, which I thought was dead on, was for Jackson, who didn't play well, and for Olivier Saar to do well they are, they are going to need someone to be able to knock down some shots on the perimeter. They need to have somebody that, that's on the court that can shoot, that garners some respect. So that gives these guys some space if they do get the ball in the post to work or even BJ Boston, some space where he's driving that they can't leave the corner or leave wherever they need a shooter out there and mm-hmm. having him be out there and knock those shots down will help their team. Cause they, they, Besides this game, they have been absolutely terrible from the three-point line. They still did. Like, I watched the game. I I ended up watching it uh, after the game was over. I, like, rewatched it. And they're still the same team. (laughs) Like, they're still the same team. They turn the ball over. um, They shoot. They shoot us uh, some very difficult shots. <laughs> that's, but that's, that's, a,
0: that's a very diplomatic way of saying they terrible
1: shots. They, they shoot some very <laughs> difficult shots, but what I will say changed that game. And I don't know if you noticed it besides Alan getting in the game and knocking down a shot when he like, in the, with a minute left in the first high, what changed the game to me watching was how active they were on the floor and how enthusiastic they were for one another.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That's yes, like yes.
1: one of the things I I remember they they did a like if I looked I remember one of the games before this game, I watched the bench and the game was close and guys are like sitting there slouched, just like on the sideline chilling. And then I watched this game and it's the first half and it's like pretty tight game. Someone makes a jump shot, the guys are standing up, they're having a good time, they're cheering, and then by the time Allen gets in into rhythm in the second half like these guys are totally in it like the activity was great from Askew and it great from jackson blocking shots and getting steals and just hustling and doing the things they did for them to stay in the game and then push it to ot and win the game but just seeing that enthusiasm and that helped increase that activity i thought and and that energy that they played with and they ended up pulling out a game which they could have easily lost
0: I mean yeah, I mean I think <laughs> I think the, the point you made is incredibly important. Um and it was uh the what what stood out to me more than anything else was they cut to BJ Boston on a bench a couple times. BJ Boston was is a top five recruit, is a kid that um played at the same high school as Bronny James and Zaire yeah. Wade at Sierra Canyon. Yeah. um he is he was anointed the next star at Kentucky, uh you know, projected top five pit, like what like as much hype as you could possibly have coming out of high school, right? Right. And he comes in and he gets benched for some dude that he probably had never heard of when he got to campus and Dante Allen, Mr. Basketball. I I bet, I bet that, I bet that. (laughs) Yeah. I bet. I I mean, Dante Allen was a kid, well, I'll get to a story in a minute anyway. So he ends up getting a bench for a kid that, and the kid comes in and hits seven threes has the game of his life um, the kind of thing where it's like, okay, well, maybe BJ Boston's role is going to kind of get diminished a little bit. Maybe he's not going to get as many shots. Blah blah blah, whatever. And like, he's going nuts on the sideline, exactly. like cheering them on, like swinging the towel around, like going crazy enough that like his mask is flying all over the place. Like he was, he was into it. And the the the, the how stark that that contrast is from like Cam Fletcher crying on the sideline because he's so frustrated he can't get minutes, and Terrence Clark sulking everywhere like that that to me really really stood out as well like i think that is a very very good point um as far as dante allen is concerned like one of my favorite stories in college basketball this year cuz he's just he's he's a kid from kentucky right like he was a he was mr basketball he was um the uh like he averaged like 43 a game when he was in high school and he was like a a borderline at best top 100 i think uh uh 24-7 had him, like, 99th, and everyone else had him, like, 100-something, whatever. Yeah. Like, one what of those guys? Like, whatever. Like, whatever. Um, and he t- – was it his ACL? Maybe – I can't remember what the injury was. But he missed all of his – what would have been his freshman season. Um, Came back this year. Can't get off the bench because Cal won't play him, even though he's known as a shooter and they badly need a shooter. Uh Comes in in a game like this, in a situation like this, six-game losing streak – uh, playing for like his childhood favorite team. I mean, he, he comes grew up in, in
1: Kentucky. That's what it is. Yeah.
0: It, it comes in, hits seven threes, should have hit eight if he could move his foot behind the line on that one. Any bank thing, scored 23 points. Like that right there is living out the dream that every single kid in the state of Kentucky has growing up. Yeah, bro. right. That right there is living it out. And like maybe, maybe he's got more hype than just some random kid that's a walk on. And maybe he's a little bit more, um, more. Uh, I don't even know what the word is, but the, the bottom line is this: he is a walk-on for Ken, like that Kentucky program, like what it is right now, like a borderline top 100. Is a walk-on at Kentucky these days? Oh my god, don't do that! No way, <laughs> that's a, that's an
1: overreaction right there. Top player, <laughs> top 100 player in the country can't be considered a walk-on.
0: In, 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 in any I want to <laughs> I want to see I want to see your reaction to be to that. I heard you, you say you, the first time. I was like, wait a minute, what? I thought I misheard you. I was like, no, 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 no way, no way. <laughs> <laughs> um no, but I mean you, you get what I'm saying. Like this kid no, comes not, off the bench yeah, out of absolutely. nowhere, make like makes all these shots, like just such an awesome story. I'm I'm and I'm so happy for him that like he was able to get this going. Like, this is if this changes the Kentucky season, like how cool of a story is that? Yeah, so kid comes out of nowhere and changes everything.
1: And and that's, basically capitalizes on his opportunity, bro. That's yes. like that's awesome.
0: Who, who yeah. wouldn't want to hear that story? Yeah, good for him, man. Um, I'm all sure. right, last I'm thing on sure. the SEC, uh, last overreaction we got is Tennessee quite clearly is gonna miss the NCAA tournament now. <laughs> Alabama, obviously um, top three team in the country. Um yeah, so <laughs> after 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 I talked all that shit about about how good Tennessee Bro. was, they went out and they lost they that lost home up. to Alabama. So the funny, to my
1: Mountaineers
0: yeah. <laughs> the funniest part about this and, and you'll appreciate this is uh there's a guy named Brian Hodgson who's an assistant on uh on Alabama. Yeah um, and like, I, I know him pretty well. And like, he, he knows that I was all into Tennessee this year. Like, he's been just kind of texting me on the slide being like, wait until we play him, wait until we play him. I'm just telling you, wait until we play him. And then they end up playing and they win. And like five minutes after the buzzer, I got a FaceTime from the locker room from him. And I was like, oh, come on, man. Sounds I was like, I was my God, I was so nervous answering that because I was like, I was like, oh man, is this going to be the whole team? Like, am I going to Yeah, be exactly, the right? whole team? Exactly. <laughs> so, nah, shout out to them, um, and that was a really good win. Um, give me all your takes on it because I got a couple. I mean,
1: what I will say. I'll first of all, I disagree. Of course, that was a joke. I figured they're not making the uh, NCAA tournament. (laughs) You remember, I remember I I saw the text. I was like, what is he talking about? Did something happen? Did Tennessee withdraw from the NCAA tournament? I was so confused. Um, No, but uh, at the end of the day, we talked about this the last podcast as well. Mm -hmm. Tennessee, if they're making jump shots, especially they're making threes, They're athletic enough if you have to run run them off the three-point line to get to the basket and and make things happen. But if you run them off the three-point line and you stay with them, they're not as creative in scoring the basketball. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Alabama did that. They ran them off the line a bunch. And then adding the fact that Tennessee didn't make many threes. I mean, that was probably the worst shooting that I've seen so far. I mean, uh Scoby didn't shoot the ball well. Bailey was 0 for 5 from three. Like it was it was just an off three point nine. And if you look at all their other stats defensively, rebound, they were all fine. They were what they would normally do. They they did what they normally do, but they didn't make shots. And if you can't make shots at home, and and even if you can't make shots at home, you you can't be Alabama at home. It's like all right, cool. Like it was just a rough night for them.
0: You you and Shaman both made this point on the podcast that we did after Tennessee beat Missouri. You said exactly that. Like, Tennessee's awesome, but what happens on the night when a team is able to stay in front of them, is able to limit their points in transition, how are they going to score? Where do the points come from? Who breaks down somebody offensively? And we saw all of that come to fruition against Alabama. And, like, that was also probably the best matchup that you could find in the sense that the way that you want to beat Tennessee is, like, beat them down the floor, right? Uh, they they force you to take a lot. Like, their whole defense is kind of schemed around forcing people to take tough threes over no, the top of the defense. Not. And Alabama was 10 for 20 for three. They made them. Um, they got down the floor quickly before Tennessee could set up. Like, to Alabama's whole – like, their entire identity offensively is like, we want to get down the floor and we want to get a layup or a shot up within seven seconds. Yeah. And, I mean, that's how you, – you, you got to beat them before they can set their defense. You got to make shots over the top of it. Uh, and and then you got to force them to um, to beat you one on one and and make plays against the set defense yourself. And and Alabama did all of those things and, that's
1: and they did all great,
0: all of those things well. That's a great,
1: I mean, that's a great scouting report to have against a, a Tennessee team who like drives in half court defense and mm-hmm. they beat you either to shoot tough threes or drive to the basket to ease and let him clean up whatever comes his way. So if it is smart to. You know, push the ball, get easy baskets and transition, and I mean, it, it, it worked for him, man. So shout out to Alabama. That was a, a good win yep. against a good team. So.
0: They they had a really good game plan. They executed it well. That was a perfect matchup, and they made shots. And when all of those things happen, you're going to win games on the road against good teams. And so credit yeah, to them, man. man. That was that was very very impressive win, and the kind of thing that's going to uh, look very good on Alabama's resume. Um, as we question, Do- to the NCAA tournament. What do you think Tennessee is missing? I mean,
1: obviously, to me, it's like they're missing somebody to like. Uh, I don't want to just throw names out there saying anything like, like a Ron Harper Jr. type because that's not easy to find somebody that could just flat out score, or take over. But like Tennessee has everything you would want. Like, if, if there's a guy that's like top five in the country in high school and he's a really, really good scorer, Tennessee kind of has everything you would want around around
0: somebody like that. So what, like I think, they, you know, what, what I think – no, I just – I think what the difference was is um I don't think necessarily – like to your point, what they need is a guy that can that can go make something happen the same way that, like, yeah. Kansas is missing a guy that can go exactly. make something happen. And I think that, like, the guy that they kind of thought might be that, that player this year is Jaden Springer. I don't think that it's Keon Johnson. Keon Johnson is yeah. more like a defensive stalwart that's like a slasher. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaden Springer, I think, has a little bit of that in his game. Mm-hmm. um but the thing is like he i don't know if i can't remember if it was a knee or an ankle but he hurt himself. he only played five minutes and a half and like and oh, i don't really? i don't yeah i don't want to i don't want to say that like i'm not trying to make excuses for the again yeah like well uh, yeah i mean he 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 hurt, so i can't remember what it was i think it was a knee um and i don't think it was all that serious but not having that kind of Guy that could that could go get his own and go get a bucket when you need someone to go get a bucket is yeah. was the problem and um, I do think that they that that Jaden Springer can be that guy um, and honestly I don't think that it's it's what cost them against Alabama like they, nah. they lost against Alabama because Alabama was the better team um, yeah, they, that, they on were. that day on that day so uh, but yeah to me that's what they're missing all right we're gonna close with a fun little segment I want to do biggest surprises uh, and we're gonna do biggest disappointments. Um, you got your players and your teams Are your biggest surprises, uh, biggest surprise
1: team, Texas beating the, the breaks off of Kansas at Kansas was surprising me. I, this one, if you won by like two, it would have been, it would have been like, okay. But the, the blowout, hold hold on.
0: Did you, did you do just the biggest surprise for this weekend or biggest surprise for the season's date so far?
1: Oh, I just did it for this weekend. I did some, okay. I think the players were for for what I've seen so okay, far. Okay, perfect.
0: Well, Texas to me is the biggest surprise team anyway. That's yeah. what I have written down to. Yeah, Texas
1: like in general has been good this year, but just seeing them walk into to Kansas and I they 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 like Kansas is like 200 and something and 15 there. So that's mm-hmm. it's rare to see them lose there and not in that fashion. So that was very surprising to see.
0: The other team that I have written down for biggest surprise is uh, is Clemson, because I think Clemson is maybe the best team in the uh, in the ACC this mm-hmm. year, and at least in the conversation. Because I, I mean, Duke's down, North Carolina's down, Virginia's down, Florida State's down. It feels like everybody's down. Um, Cle- like Clemson, they 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 might be legit. They might be real. They might win that that league this season, which would be. Be the maybe the craziest thing that we see in uh in, in 2021 is Clemson going out and win the ACC regular season. No, nah, I don't think that's gonna be the case. <laughs> <laughs> um so for uh for your for your players who are your biggest surprises? Greg Brown for the entirety of the season I didn't think
1: he would be what he is. Like I just thought he was just going to be an athletic dude that can rebound and he could maybe I didn't think he stretched the floor the way he did. like he didn't play as well this past game against uh Kansas. But did you see the uh the the, the going step right back? step back pull up? Like after he made that, it's, they cut the bill so and he's like, What the what else can we do? Like it's yeah, like,
0: like, like for like, people that didn't see it, go check my Twitter <laughs> feed. Like I got the video on it. He like, like, hey, drives what? left, puts it back between his legs on the step back, and it takes another step back, like going to his right. Like that's just I didn't know right, right-handed guys could do it like like I've never I don't think I've ever seen someone do that move that way. It was wow. ridiculous. Yeah, I was uh, I was caught off guard,
1: and not to mention just like the way he's played. Like uh, what uh, what was the last game? Was they did they play Oklahoma State?
0: I yeah, so he like he had he had yeah. like yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like he had a really slow start to the year, but then he had like a th- a three week stretch where he was just looked like the best player in the Big Twelve. Yeah, yeah, and just
1: you can see what his ceiling could possibly be like, well, I wouldn't say the ceiling, but what his potential could possibly be just that big can actually put the ball on the floor, creates mismatches. Like I was very surprised by him this
0: season. Um, so the biggest surprises for me, I got three players written down. I got Marcus Carr who we've talked about plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like, I didn't, I did not see him being like a first team all American, which is uh-huh. what he is right now. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, I did not think that he was going to have this kind of an impact. We talked about him. And the last guy I have written down is Zach Fremantle at Xavier, who has been like their their five, a a three-point shooter, a guy that has really like allowed them to spread the floor the way that they want to spread the floor this year. And I mean, Xavier's, they're going to be up and down because they rely so much on on three-point shooting. Um, But like the fact that Zach Fremantle is able to average like 16 or 17 a game the way that he has been, like to me, Kind of has uh, has been a, like an absolute difference maker for Xavier, and the reason why they're as good as they are is because they have him on the floor.
1: Mm-hmm. Shout out to shout out to Xavier. Granted, so they, I don't know if they're going to be the Creighton uh,
0: the Creighton group. The Creighton group's yeah. That Creighton yeah, group good. is pretty good. yeah yeah. They're good. Pretty good. All right. So biggest disappointments for me was a lot easier to kind of pile them together. I have six yeah. written. I have six written down i'm Please. gonna let you go first no though. no i'll you let you go first, first i promise because i okay. guarantee two of mine are within yours <laughs> so um so kentucky obviously but like that one felt like too easy to pick yeah uh i i have duke written down um i'm not going to go with them because i feel like right now duke is they haven't been as bad like the, the, what they, their performances have not been as bad um as as what i kind of like think that they are in my head, if that makes sense. So I'm going to go with Virginia as the biggest disappointment. I thought this team was going to be like a top five team coming into the season. They can't guard the way we thought they could guard. They can't score the way we thought they were going to be able to score. Sam Hauser has not been the guy we thought he was going to be. Jay Huff is still just kind of like really tall and not Mm -hmm. much else. So exactly um, for me, like Virginia is is the most disappointing team. Yeah. I was going to go with uh, Kansas and
1: Virginia. Not Kansas, I mean Kentucky and Virginia. Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, watching that first game, <laughs> uh, watching Virginia's first game, I was like, wow, this is going to be a very difficult team to beat. Right? And and just seeing how they shared the ball and just watching the things they did. And and then you go, like I would say, two games later, you get a scare and then you see them lose to the Dons, I think it's a game later, excuse me. And it's like, all right, cool, they lose to San Francisco, but all right. That was just them sleepwalking and they had a rough go at it maybe it'll change and man it has not like they are who I thought they were um as that season decided to go on and they they haven't toughed it out much they when things when the pressure picks up they kind of like wilt a little bit so I'm hoping they can pick it up but it is very disappointing so far and Kent and Kentucky was more disappointing with uh I just didn't expect them to to fold it in the inside as well as much as they did. I didn't think mm-hmm. we see what we see from Cal early with the, the player stuff. I didn't think we see guys attempting to uh rest themselves for perfect like like I just I didn't think I see that. And I thought guys would play better than they did and and as you can see, like youth, it can be very difficult for young guards and young <laughs> players. I don't want to blame all youth because some some guys go out there at young ages and do amazing things, but that's just
0: not the case right now for this Kentucky team. So I had I had three others written down. I had Memphis written down because I, oh, like okay. I legitimately thought they were like going to be a top twenty team this year, and that 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 ended up being a bad uh, bad prediction. Um, Michigan State, <clears throat> yeah, Penny's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, but I, have to do. <laughs> I, I have I have Michigan State written down. Like they just. It looks like it's 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 me out there playing defense for him right now. Can I take can I take my
1: I take my words back back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I take everything I said and see and be like, you know what? See, because they made me eat my words early on. I thought <laughs> they'd be a decent Duke team, which obviously wasn't a decent Duke team. And some of the wins they got, I was I was like, oh, this could be a I could be eating my words, but now it seems like they're taking. They're taking a different turn. I
0: mean, hey, look, we all we all (laughs) thought all of us were in the same boat. I didn't I don't think anybody thought that Michigan State would be this much of a mess at this point. Uh, The only other one I have written down is Arizona State. And honestly, like it shouldn't even be a disappointment at this point. Like Arizona State just like they always got talent and they never whatever. They're always a mess. Yeah, my guy, uh, he puts up a lot of shots. <laughs> Remy, Remy Martin, Remy. but he
1: does—he does have the best name in college basketball. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. So you can never disrespect him.
0: If, uh, if you if you you got you got Remy Martin and Miller Cop on the same team, mm. then that's what that's what we need. Remy you, Martin, Miller Cop, and Boo Booey. Were you not disappointed
1: before you even before we get out of here? Were you not disappointed in the way Texas Tech played, <laughs> or were you more disappointed yeah. in the referee? That gave the
0: <laughs> the NBA call to Kate.
1: That, that's <laughs> which, why. Which one were you more
0: disappointed? <laughs> I mean, that was just a it was a horrible call. Like, yeah. I, I, I I'm trying not to go off on refs as much as I normally <laughs> do, because like college refs are not very good. But like that was just absolutely a trope. Like that I. But I, I, look, it's Kate Cunningham. He gets superstar calls. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Unbelievable, right? Like, what? What? How I was that like- a foul? How is it a foul? But I still feel
1: like Texas Tech brought that on themselves.
0: So, yeah. You know, there's there's a conversation that we probably need to have at some point about whether or not um Chris Beard has gotten himself overrated as a head coach because, like, I feel like they've been a little bit disappointing for two years now. Um, But that's a different podcast for a different day. And, like, I need to, I need to hash out my thoughts on that a little bit more <laughs> before-,
1: <laughs> before you just – before I, before I open Hale up that everything, can of worms. <laughs> everything you think <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah all right dason um it's been fun man we will uh we will catch up with you guys again uh this week at some point we'll find a day maybe we could do a couple of days maybe we'll do a couple more locker room sessions anybody if you're still listening rate review subscribe to this podcast here but also go download the locker room app because we have a lot of fun uh, doing post game stuff on, Max. Um, on on that app and, and have some good conversations. Oh, we got Kate Cunningham against West Virginia tomorrow night. Maybe we can uh, we can do something afterwards after that game. So maybe uh, my Mountaineers can do something. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, see, we'll see. All right, Deshaun it's always a pleasure. We'll catch up with you guys later on this. Week.